Well, again today, find your place in Psalm 23, verse 5. What to do when the going gets tough. Many of you, if you've paid attention to sports or you've played tennis, you're familiar with the name Boris Becker. Boris Becker was a redheaded German. He won Wimbledon for the first time when he was 18 years of age. Becker went on to win other tennis tournaments, major championships, U.S. Open, Australian Open, other tournaments like that. Incredible athlete, incredible tennis player. And Becker would say this about his life. He said because of all of his success on the tennis court, he got to enjoy everything the world threw his way. And Boris Becker would say that he lived in the best houses, he drove the best cars, he ate at the best restaurants, he wore the best clothes, he took the best vacations. He had everything this world could possibly give you. And in the midst of having all that stuff, Boris Becker would say there was an attempt that he tried to take his own physical life. And Boris Becker said this, and I quote him. He said, even with all the world's stuff and all the world's applause, he said, I had no inner peace. I was a puppet on a string. What do you do when the going gets tough? Jesus, the Lord Jesus, our good shepherd, in John chapter 10, Jesus said this. He said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd laid down his life for the sheep. Aren't you grateful that we have a good shepherd? And aren't you grateful that the good shepherd went to a cross, shed his blood, died on a cross for you and for me, buried in a tomb, but on the third day, the stone was rolled away. The tomb was empty. Jesus Christ, our good shepherd, is not dead today. He is alive and he reigns forever and forevermore. He is our good shepherd. But right before that, Jesus said this. Jesus said, to those of us who are his sheep, who are following him, he says, what, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, there are kids in the room, there are students in the room, there are adults in the room, many ages watching as well. I want to ask you this morning, as we think about this message, what to do when the going gets tough. I want to ask you, how many of you are living the abundant life that Jesus, the good shepherd, promised? And so you'll know when you're living the abundant life of Christ, that doesn't mean life is going to be easy. It doesn't mean life is going to be comfortable. It doesn't mean life is going to be convenient. There are times that you're living the abundant life of Christ and life is painful, life is difficult, and life is hard. But you're still following the good shepherd's leadership. You're still living the abundant life that he promised to you and to me. Are you living the abundant life of Christ? In Psalm 23, David has been walking us through this, and he has very clear, articulated from the very beginning, the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, we're going to deal with that a little bit more next Sunday as we finish this sermon series, Soul Care, but the Lord is my shepherd. And then he said this about the shepherd in relationship to him as one of the sheep. He said, I don't have anything of need in life because he provides everything. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. David would even say, he restored my soul. He guided me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, I didn't have anything to fear because he was with me. His rod and his staff, they comforted me. And then he comes to this passage and says, but you also prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. To the good shepherd, you anoint my head with oil and my cup overflows. I believe if I was writing the 23rd Psalm, I would have written that differently a little bit. 
For example, when you come to this passage today, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I would have probably written that differently to say, you prepare a table before me in your presence, not my enemies. I might have been able to write that to say, you prepare a table before me as you wipe out my enemies in some way. But what does David say? He's following the good shepherd. He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What do you do when the going gets tough? Uh, Tuesday, I flew back from Tallahassee Tuesday night, uh, landed in Nashville at 6 p.m. Weather was changing. Had to make a decision kind of quickly. Was I going to try to drive back to Clarksville or was I going to get a hotel room in Nashville because of the ice storm that was coming in? And so I had prayed, asked the Lord for direction. I felt like I wanted to drive home. My desire was to get home, and I just told the Lord that. Lord, my desire is to get from Nashville to Clarksville. I don't really want to stay in another hotel tonight. Lord, you said, if I delight myself in you, you would give me the desires of my heart. And so as I pulled out of the airport in Nashville, started driving back to Clarksville, it started at 31 degrees on the car. The closer I got here, it kept dropping, got to 27 degrees. And when I got to about the Pleasant View exit, it was nothing but a solid sheet of ice. Cars were going everywhere, wrecks everywhere. The interstate on the other side was shut down. And I just kept saying, I didn't have any radio on. I wasn't on the phone with anyone. I was just talking to the good shepherd. What do you do when the going gets tough? Well, you talk to the good shepherd. And I said, Lord, you shared my desire with you. Here's what I want to do. And so probably an hour and a half later, guess what? I walked into our house. I walked in the door. Angie met me at the door. And I said, let's just pause right now and thank Jesus for being faithful in the midst when the going gets tough. And we did that. What do you do when the going gets tough? Wednesday, I received a... Uh, a text from a staff member that was on staff with me in Tallahassee. And he said, I want you to see this picture because um, it came up in my feed on my social media and I want you to see it. And it was a picture of me and some men. We were at an event. I was sitting with a group of guys. I was their pastor. And I sat there and I looked through that picture and I responded back to him and I said, there are so many thoughts going through my mind as I look at this picture. I'm sitting there, i got guys on each side of me, got some guys behind me. The guy who's sitting right behind me in the picture, I preached his funeral Tuesday morning in Tallahassee. What do you do when the going gets tough? The guy who was sitting beside him, kind of over this way in the picture, he took his life outside the back of his house one day, and I preached his funeral as well. What do you do when the going gets tough? The guy who's sitting behind him, loves the Lord Jesus, went to Israel with us. He is facing major medical issues in his life, and I talked with him this week as well. What do you do when the going gets tough? Again, I imagine in this room, I imagine many of you watching in the states around the world, you would share testimony that the Lord has prepared a table for you in the presence of your enemies, and the going is tough. And what do you do when the going gets tough? And I pray today the Holy Spirit will speak to us. And that when we come to the end of this message, our cups aren't going to be empty. Our cups are going to be overflowing. Because he is the good shepherd. Let's walk through these truths here. Number one, ask the shepherd to satisfy your hunger. What does he say in this passage? He says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. 
sheep always think about food. I tend to be the same way. Ann's and I will be having lunch, and I'll say before we even finish lunch, what are we having for dinner tonight? Uh, can I get a witness on that? Anybody right there with me? We're always thinking about food. And so where's the next meal? What are we going to have? What are we going to do? And so the Bible says here, David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, you, the good shepherd, the Lord, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Walk through that. You, that's the good shepherd, prepare, meaning what? He is working to prepare the table. He's putting thought into it, action into it. You prepare a table. The table represents, here's what the table means for you and me. It means a relationship with a good shepherd, and it means fellowship with a good shepherd. You prepare. Prepare means this, the gift of hospitality, but also the gift of generosity. We're going to sit down and with him at the, good ta- at the table with a good shepherd, but also he is going to show hospitality but generosity to you and me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. The shepherd leading sheep would know what that would mean because sheep are always thinking about food. They want to be fed. The shepherd is going to lead them to green pastures so they can eat. But here's what the shepherd is going to do. He's going to go to the green pastures first. He's going to prepare the grass for the sheep to eat. Here's what he would do. He's going to go to the grass. He's going to walk over the grass. He is going to make sure that everything is safe for the sheep to eat there because when sheep are afraid, it's hard for them to eat. So the shepherd is going to go to the field where the sheep are going to graze. He's going to make sure there are no wild animals. He's going to make sure the grass is not poisonous, but he's also going to make sure that there are no snakes in the field. One of the great enemies of a sheep is going to be what's called an adder snake. A-D-D-E-R. They're all throughout Israel. They live in these fields. There are little holes that are going to be there. They live under the ground. And when the sheep are grazing in the field, those snakes come up and bite the sheep on the nose. The shepherd wouldn't know it. The sheep can become sick and even die. So what does the shepherd do? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Those adder snakes are enemies to sheep. And the shepherd... He's going to comb the field. He's going to find those adder holes. He's going to pour oil down those holes. That way, when the sheep are grazing, those snakes cannot come up out of the holes and bite the sheep. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Look at these two things here. I want you to be aware of this. Number one, being a shepherd is hard work. If you're going to lead sheep in Israel, you're going to see that it's hard work. It's not eight to four or nine to five. It's around the clock. You're going to protect them at night. You're going to lead them during the day. You're going to make sure the pasture land is safe for them to graze and to eat. Being a shepherd is hard work. Let me say to those of us who are in the context of ministry, God calls us into vocational ministry. Don't believe that's going to be easy. Don't believe that's an 8 to 4 deal or a 9 to 5 deal. No, it's a 24-7 deal. Because you care for the sheep, and so you lay down your life for the sheep. You serve the Lord, but you serve the sheep. Being a shepherd is hard work. Look at the second one. Sheep cannot survive without a shepherd. And so if the sheep are going to make it, they've got to have a loving, caring shepherd to lead them and to guide them. Thank the Lord again. We have the good shepherd who's leading you and me. And we get to serve as under shepherds as well. But sheep can't survive without a shepherd. 
Now, as you and I think about this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. We're going to sit down at this table. What are we going to eat at the shepherd's table? There are many things he's going to feed you and me. So I want you to write these blanks in. What are we going to dine on there? Number one, absolute truth. He's going to feed us absolute truth. When I look at the Bible, there's right and wrong. This Bible is true from beginning to end. This is the word of God. And so when we sit down at the shepherd's table, he's going to feed us absolute truth. The world says that there's no absolute truth, but I'm here to say, based on the authority of God's word, this Bible is filled with truth from God because this is God's word. He's going to feed us absolute truth. Number two is unconditional love. You and I need to know when we're sitting down at the shepherd's table, even though the going may be tough, he loves you and me. The shepherd loves us unconditionally. His love is never going to end. He loves us so much that he gave his only life for you and me. You and I need to know that we are loved unconditionally by the good shepherd. So you may be in this room, you may be watching, and you've made a mess out of your life. You've made unwise decisions. You're reaping the consequences of those. But I want you to know if you're one of his sheep, he loves you unconditionally. And you can rest assured on the unconditional love of the good shepherd. Third is spiritual forgiveness. Because of his death on the cross and the shedding of his blood on the cross, you and I can experience spiritual forgiveness. And because we have forgiveness in him, the good shepherd, then we need to be willing to forgive other people around us who have wounded us by words or actions. As he has forgiven us, then we forgive others. We receive spiritual forgiveness when we eat at the shepherd's table. But also it's personal contentment. And that's not easy for us in the world that tells us, get more, get more, get more, get more. But when we dine at the shepherd's table, we find ourselves content because we say, the good shepherd, you are all I really need in life. Jesus is everything. But I've got a question I want to ask you. When you look at your life, are you dining at the shepherd's table or are you dining at the world's table? There are many people today who are not satisfied in life. There are many people today who are empty in life. There are many people who question, does anyone love them or not? There are many people who are going through life and their lives just have no meaning. Why? Because they're dining at the world's table, not the shepherd's table. And here's what's going to happen. If you dine at the world's table, you're going to walk away still hungry, empty, and confused. Anyhow, years ago, I had lunch with Dr. Bobby Welsh, who was president of the Southern Baptist Convention. I had him to preach for me one Sunday morning in Florida. And so we went out and we had lunch, went to this nice restaurant. We'd had this meal before. We wanted it again. And so we go there. And for some reason, that Sunday afternoon, the portions were extremely small. And so I said to Dr. Bobby, I said, I think you're still hungry. Why don't you order something else? And he said, no, no, I'm fine. This is going to be okay. I've, I've had enough. And so we, we said our goodbyes. We got in the car and I told Angie, I said, him and his wife, they're going to either stop at Waffle House or McDonald's before they get on the interstate because he was still hungry. And I'm telling you, if you sit down at the world's table, you're going to leave unsatisfied, you're going to leave hungry, and you're going to leave unfulfilled. But if you would dine at the shepherd's table, he will satisfy every need you have in this life. That's the life of the good shepherd. He will satisfy your hunger in life. Okay, number two, allow the good shepherd, allow the shepherd to soothe your hurts. As you and I think about this text, we, we realize this. He says this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And then he says this, you anoint my head with oil. 
Now, what in the world does that mean? You anoint my head with oil. Let me walk through this. What, what's the significance of oil? Look at, look at the first one. It's a repellent. Now, as you think about sheep grazing in the field, one of the greatest enemies of a sheep, it's not a wolf, it's not a lion, it's not a bear, uh, it's not even those adder snakes. One of the greatest enemies of a sheep is a nose fly. Uh, you didn't know that. You didn't think you'd get that today. But it's a nose fly. Nose flies get up again in the noses of those sheep. They lay eggs and it drives sheep crazy. They can't sleep. They can't eat. They can't rest. It drives them crazy. So where's what a, a good shepherd will do? He will take the oil. He will anoint the head of that sheep with oil. The oil flows down the head of that sheep into the nostrils. And guess what happens? It protects them from their enemy, the nose fly. It's a repellent in many ways. Second word is medicine. Uh, the, 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 the anointing of oil comes with medical reasons. And so as you and I think about this, again, sheep have this heavy wool on them, and it's just like a vacuum. It attracts the dirt and the grime and everything else in life, so it gets just attracted to them. And so here they are, the shepherd again, as loving as he is, is going to go to the sheep. He's going to examine every sheep, and if there are sores underneath that heavy wool, he's going to anoint that sheep with oil so that the healing process can take place. So when you look at this idea, you anoint my head with oil, it may be a repellent against the nose flies, but it also may be healing because there's something about the sheep, there's a sore, there's a, a place on the sheep's body that needs to be healed, and so he would use oil to be able to do that. Now as we think about this, you anoint my head, you prepare this table before me in the presence of my enemies, and you anoint my head with oil. Let's think about this idea of an enemy here for a moment. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. We have an enemy. And we have an enemy who wants to do everything he can to destroy your life. When I was growing up, I had this, this visual of the enemy. I thought he wore a red suit. I thought he had a cape on. I thought he had horns. And I thought he had a pitchfork. Anybody agree with me on that? Is, is that how you took the devil? The more I've studied God's word and the more I've lived a Christian life, uh, I don't think my imagery was right. I think the enemy is going to come across as very cool in life. I think the enemy is going to come across and tell you what you want to hear. The enemy is never going to come to you and me and say, I want you to know this, my goal is to destroy your life. He's not going to tell us that. He's not going to come to you and say, my goal is to destroy your marriage. He's not going to tell you, I mean, my goal is to destroy your family. My, my goal is to destroy this church. My goal is to destroy your ministry. He's going to tell us what we want to hear. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. But also, we have an enemy, but we also have enemies. Now, your enemy this morning may be depression. Your enemy may be anxiety. Your enemy may be people in your life. Your enemy may be death. Your enemy may be fear. Your enemy is the unknown. We have enemies in life, but you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And so what are you going to find? You're going to have enemies that are going to come against you. And the enemy is going to come against you. That's why in John chapter 10, verse 10, what says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's what the good shepherd said. 
That's why in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8 says, Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone whom he can devour. I just encourage you, he may prowl around, but don't give him a seat at your table in your life. And so here's the enemy. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. And as you look at Matthew chapter 4, Jesus again, fasting and praying, and the enemy came to him, and the enemy tried to destroy his life as well. But what did Jesus do? He said to the enemy again and again, it is written, it is written, it is written. Here's how you defeat the enemy with the word of God in your life. Jesus modeled that for us. So if you're going through life and the going is tough, realize he prepared a table for you and the presence of your enemies is not always going to be easy. It can be difficult, can be painful. It can be tough in the Christian life. And then he says, what, you anoint my head with oil and then my cup overflows. Let me give you these two words. When you think about you anoint my head with oil, look at first one, it's care. You and I have a good shepherd who cares about us. David, as a shepherd boy, he cared for the sheep. He laid down his life for the sheep. And he says, you anoint my head with oil, meaning, Lord, you care about my needs, either whether it's, it's a repellent or whether it's medicine, you care about me. I want you to know, you may look at your life today and you say, I don't know if there's anyone in life who cares for me or not, but I want you to know the good shepherd cares about you in your life. You can cast all of your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you in your life. So one, we find the idea that the the good shepherd cares. He's caring about you and me. If you're dealing with depression, he cares about you. If you're facing anxiety, he cares about you. If you're afraid of death, he cares for you. If you're dealing with difficult people, he cares about you. If you are afraid of the unknown, the good shepherd cares about you. Look at the second word, is the word closeness. For David to say, you anoint my head with oil, he had to be close to the Lord in his life. I mean, there's no drive-by anointings here. There's no internet anointings. You've got to be close to the good shepherd to be anointed. When you say, you anoint my head with oil, in the New Testament, oil was symbolic of the Holy Spirit in his life. Don't you want to be anointed and filled with the Holy Spirit in your life? I don't ever want to take this pulpit and do it out of the flesh. I pray every Sunday morning, Lord Jesus, you must increase and I must decrease. And Lord, I want to come to this sacred place with a word from you under the leadership and the anointing of the Holy Spirit in my life. You anoint my head with oil. You have to be close with the good shepherd. And so as you and I think about these words, are you living close to him? Do you understand he cares for you? And whatever your hurts are, he can soothe them. Why? Because you anoint my head with oil and life. You look at number three, approach the shepherd to saturate your heart. He goes on to say in this passage, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. I want you to write these, these, these things down. Look at number one. What is God doing in your life? Uh, what is God doing in your life? As you look at this text here, and he says this, my cup overflows, it's present tense. And as you think about what, what the Lord's doing in your life, sometimes we speak in the past tense. Let me tell you what he did in my life 10, 20, 30 years ago. 
There's sometimes we talk about future tense. Let me tell you what I'm praying for the Lord to do the next five years, 10 years, 20 years of my life. But somewhere in life, though, we need to be willing to be present tense to say, here's what the Lord's doing in my life now. My cup overflows. I'm not a coffee drinker. I love to smell it, but I just can't acquire a taste for it. But I know something about coffee drinkers. They generally have their favorite coffee cup at home or at the office or wherever you're at. You want your coffee cup because you drink coffee out of that. What is the Lord doing in your life right now? Ephesians chapter 3, verses 21, 20 and 21. What does Paul say under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? He said, you're able to do immeasurably more than I can ask, think, or imagine. When Jesus fed the 5,000 on the mountain that day, what happened? They were satisfied. They had basketfuls left over. Their, their baskets were running over with food because the Lord was so good and generous to them. What is the Lord doing in your life? What do you see him doing around you? Jack Hinton. Jack was uh, with a mission team. They were serving in Tobago. Uh, if you know anything about Tobago, Tobago is known for many leper colonies. And so Jack and the team were ministering on a mission trip there. And and one night they were having a revival service. And Jack, they'd asked him to lead some songs to the people there. Place was packed and a lot of people were there. He noticed as he got up on the platform, it was interesting because there was one lady. He could tell it was a lady, but interesting enough, like you're sitting facing me. She sat with her back to him. And he thought, that's just kind of strange. I mean, why would she be doing that? And so as he was leading some songs, he felt the leadership of the Holy Spirit just to ask the people and to say, is there a hymn, is there a song you would want us to sing? And if we're able to do it, then we're going to do that. And so as Jack was there leading the people and he asked him this question because he really felt like the Holy Spirit had led him to do that, he noticed this lady who had her back to him raised her hand. And when she raised her hand, he noticed this, that her fingers were gone. And then the lady turned around. And as she turned around, Jack said it made him sad to look at this lady because of leprosy. Her fingers were gone. And he said, when she turned around, I looked at her in her face. Uh, her, her, most of her ears were eaten away. Part of her nose were, was gone. Her face was severely disfigured. And he said it just made him sad to his eyes to see the physical condition of this lady. And so she had her hand up and just Jack just said to her, do you have a song you want to request to sing? And she said, yes, sir, I do. And he said, what would it be if at all possible we're going to sing it? And here's what she said. Can we sing Count Your Many Blessings? And Jack said that when we started to sing that song, he literally had to walk off the platform because he was moved by the Spirit and sobbing in his heart. Some of the mission team members came around him. They saw he was moved in that context. And one of the mission team members said to him, Jack, you'll probably never be able to sing that song again. And Jack said, well, not exactly. I'll be able to sing it again, but I'll never be able to sing it the same way again. What is God doing in your life? David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil because you care for me and I'm close to you. And then, Lord, you and my cup is overflowing. What is God doing in your life now? Second question, is your cup overflowing? You can write out there, the cup is your life. 
It's not just a physical cup that's overflowing, but your life. Is your life overflowing spiritually? Are you living the abundant life of Christ? Now I want to give you these seven words. They're not on the outline. But I want to give you these seven words that will help you to see your cup overflowing. I've walked through these seven words in my own life this weekend. As I was just praying and studying and praying and studying. And I think, Lord, I don't want to have an empty cup. I want to have a cup that's overflowing. And I want to give you these seven words. And if you all apply these seven words to your life and your relationship and your fellowship with the Good Shepherd, as you sit at a table together in the presence of your enemies, your cup will be overflowing in life. Let me give them to you. Number one is the word intimacy. If your cup is going to be overflowing, you need to be intimate with the Lord. That's for kids, students, adults. Be intimate with Jesus Christ. How do I live intimate with him? Spend time in his word. Spend time in prayer talking to him. Spend time in worship. Spend time in solitude. Be intimate with him. Here's what I would say. If your cup is empty today, there's a good indication you're not living intimate with the shepherd. The word number one is intimacy. Make sure you are intimate with Christ in your life. Let me give you the second word. The second word is intercession. If your cup is going to be overflowing, intercession is a big fancy word that you pray for other people or someone is praying for you. And if you want your cup to be overflowing, have some people who are going to pray for you in your life. Do you have some people that you know who are praying for you in your walk with Christ? But also, who are you praying for by name in your life? Because if your cup's going to be filled and overflowing... You want to make sure you're intimate with Christ, but you all want to make sure you're interceding for other people and other people are praying for you in your life as well. So you've got intimacy, you've got intercession. Third word is involvement. You want to make sure you're involved in the work of the Lord. Here's what I mean by that. The Lord's got a call on your life. He's got a purpose for your life. You want to make sure you're living out the call of God in your life and you're living out the purpose of God in your life. And so that means being involved in the work of ministry. It means involved in the church. It means being involved in spiritual issues. Are you involved as God is calling you, as he's prepared you, and are you fulfilling his purpose for your life? Because if your cup's going to be overflowing, intimacy with Christ, intercession, people are praying for you and you're praying for others, but you're also involved in doing what God wants you to do in your life. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. He saved you and left you on this earth because he's got a purpose for you in your life are you living it out word number four is the word inheritance if your cup is going to be overflowing you need to think about your inheritance in the spiritual life if we're not careful we'll focus so much upon this world what the world can give us and offer us what we can get out of this world how many toys we can get how much money we can make how much stuff we can accumulate again it will empty your cup but when you focus on your inheritance, meaning what? That this life is not all there is. We have been bought with a price. Our citizenship is in heaven. One day we're going to be in heaven and we're going to see Jesus Christ face to face. When you think about mansions in heaven, those who are going to be there seeing the Lord Jesus Christ face to face, it causes your cup to be filled and overflowing. So I just challenge us as sheep, don't focus on all the stuff of this world. Focus on our inheritance in Christ because we are secure in Jesus. And imagine our cups are overflowing because, Lord, I can't wait for the day when I see you face to face. One day we're going to see him. 
And inheritance leads your cup to be overflowing. Let, let me give you another word. It's a word instruction. That if your cup is going to be overflowing, then you must realize that instruction is a part of that. You must come before the Lord with a teachable spirit. You haven't figured it all out. You're not a know-it-all. But he is still teaching you. So as, as a kid, as a student, as an adult, do you have a teachable spirit before Jesus in your life? Because if you have a teachable spirit, then he's going to teach you. He's going to fill your cup so that you're going to overflow. Are you teachable in the Christian life? Let me give you word number six. It's the word integrity. Integrity doesn't mean much in the world, but in the eyes of God, it still means everything. It means holy living. We live the way God wants us to live. And that means many times as, as kids and students and even as us as adults, that means you're going to swim upstream in this culture. But you have to be, be willing and be comfortable to be different in that, to say, Lord, I've got a teachable spirit. Teach me from your word, prayer, worship, prayer to Holy Spirit, other people. Lord, teach me in my life because I want to have a life of integrity. So you show me how you want me to live life. And when you live God's way, he fills your cup so that you're overflowing. And then word number seven is the word increase. Here's what I mean by that. If your cup's going to be overflowing, then you come and you pray John 3.30 in your life and say, Lord Jesus, in my life, you must increase. I must decrease in life. It's not about me, Lord Jesus. It's about you. And when you do those things, you're going to see your cup filling up, filling up, filling up, and then finally overflowing. And what did David say? My cup overflows. Is your cup empty or is your cup overflowing? Then number three, how is God using your witness? Here's what I mean by that. How's the good shepherd using your conversion story? How's the good shepherd helping in using you to make disciples? And how's the good shepherd using you to meet the needs of other people? Because see, when your cup overflows, it's not, well, Lord, give me a bigger cup. No, when your cup overflows, Lord, how do you want to use me in the lives of other people? I want to be filled up and overflowing so you can use me in the life of other people. How's he doing that in your life? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Lord, you anoint my head with oil. And Lord, my cup overflows. What do you do when the going gets tough? Well, you realize there are enemies and we have an enemy. But you're also willing to quote 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. Greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. We have victory in Jesus. But you also realize the care and the closeness of the good shepherd. To realize you anoint my head with oil when maybe I'm, I'm, I'm injured or I've got enemies around me. Lord, you're close. You care for me. And then you realize when the going gets tough, Lord, in the midst of that, Romans 8, 28 moments are happening in my life, so my cup is overflowing. And God, you're using the difficult periods of my life to bring glory to you, but also minister to the needs of people. How's he using you? When the going gets tough, talk to the good shepherd. Live intimate with him and let him fill your cup to overflowing and let him use you in your life. Let's bow together as we pray. The reason you can live close and intimate with a good shepherd is because of grace, unmerited favor, 
You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. But it's his unmerited favor to you. And so this morning, we're going to sing here in just a moment, Amazing Grace. And I want to ask you today, how many of you need to give your lives to Jesus for the first time? How many of you need to follow him in baptism if we witness today? How many of you need to walk down one of these aisles and come to one of our pastoral staff and say the Lord's leading me or leading us to join the fellowship of this church? How many of you need to come and say life's tough right now? But you want to run to the good shepherd, not run away from him, but run to him. How many of you would be honest enough to say right now your cup is empty, but you want your cup to be filled and overflowing? The good shepherd will do all those things in your life if you'll come to him. And you can come to him because of amazing grace. Our pastoral staff will be here. Our prayer team is going to be here. You watching literally all over the world, you can respond to us on whatever platform you're watching on, and we'll respond back to you as quickly as possible because we'd love to serve you and see the good shepherd change your life as well. And it's possible because of amazing grace. So I'm going to pray, then we're going to stand and sing, and this invitation is for you to come to Jesus. Your good shepherd, he'll change your life because grace is still amazing. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. We're so in love with Jesus. And thank you that even in the presence of our enemies, you prepare a table before us. Thank you that you anoint our head with oil. And thank you that our cups can overflow. Why? Because you are close to us and you care for us. And so, fathers, we sing amazing grace. I pray people will be obedient to you in a private way or a public way as we come to you. And I pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen. Church, let's stand together. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. You come this morning as we sing.